Well, the Lord is good. Amen. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, please. Zechariah 13, verse 1. And it says here, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. In that day, in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Now the prophet Zechariah was the last prophet of the Old Testament. And he lived 400 years before Jesus. And so he made this prophecy. This is very significant. He says there will come a day and there shall be a fountain. And the word fountain actually means a stream or a river. That's what the word fountain means. So what he's promising is that God is going to open a stream that shall be for the cleansing of sin and uncleanness. Now, you know, back in the days of the Bible, before people had running water in their homes, there were two sources of water that people used to go to. One was the river and one was the well. When it came to drinking water, they used to go to the well to fetch drinking water. But when it came to bathing or washing or cleansing, they used to go to the river. So the river was a place for cleansing. Rivers and streams were places of cleansing. Now, uh, you know, in every religion, because there is one desire that people have, and that is to be, accept, to be accepted by God. They want to be accepted by God. Now, if you want to be accepted by people, uh, one of the things we do is to be clean. If we have, you know, if our clothes are clean, if we take a bath, it just makes us more presentable to people. So I remember, you know, the, my wife, we have been married 44 years this year. I mean, this week is going to be 44 years. And, you know, and I tell people I have a good marriage because I'm gone so much overseas. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, so, but, uh, but, you know, I remember when I, I met her in church and I, I decided I'm going to marry this girl. And her mom came to town. Her mom lived in the north of Sweden and she came. So I remember how nervous I was when I met her mom because I wanted her mom to like me. I really wanted. So I remember I got a haircut. I don't think I needed one, but I got a haircut anyway. I shaved. I stayed like I bought even bought a new shirt and I, I, I spent 45 minutes in the bathroom getting myself all done up before I met her mother because I wanted to be accepted. And, and so, you know, this outward appearance thing is very important if we want to be accepted by people. But when it, when it comes to God, the outward appearance doesn't really help. Because the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So, you know, you can stand under the shower or go to, the, go to a river to take a bath. That can cleanse your outward man. But it takes something different. That's another kind of cleansing to be clean in the, uh, in, in the inner man. And in fact, every religion has a concept of uh, a principle and a concept of holy rivers and holy water. If you go to India, the Hindus have the, have the river Ganges. They, and they believe that every person should take a dip in the river Ganges at least once in his lifetime 
because that is going to cleanse him from his sins. I grew up as a Muslim and we believe that uh, there, there's a, actually there's a spring in Mecca and water from that has some cleansing properties. In fact, my dad used to keep cans of it and tanks of it in, in, in the house. And whenever we boys were naughty, he would pull that water out and mix it with our bath water because he believed like, you know, it would do something to us. There are certain churches where they keep consecrated holy water that the priests have done some mumbo jumbo too, you know. And that water is, suppose so, if, if you have any issues here, you say, I want some holy water, they sprinkle holy water on you. So there's a concept of holy water that is supposed to do something to your inner man. But now in my experience, I found out that holy water doesn't do anything. It just changes, it just turns a dry sinner into a wet sinner. But that's all it does. So, but here now God is promising. God is making a promise and he's telling, you know, the people through the prophet Zechariah that there will come a day in which God is going to open a stream and that stream shall be for the cleansing of sin and of uncleanness. So what is that stream and where is it? Is it in Tulsa, Oklahoma? We in the Assemblies of God believe it's in Springfield, Missouri. Or where is that stream? Where does it flow? So let's talk about that. So 400 years after Zechariah prophesied came Jesus to this world. Now Jesus, what's special about him was that he was the son of God and he was born of a virgin. Now any doctor will tell you Anyone who has a knowledge of medicine will tell you that when a baby is in the womb of its mother, through the umbilical cord, the baby receives all kinds of nutrition from the mother, but not one drop of blood passes from mother to child. So Adam was born perfect, but when Adam and Eve sinned before God, they you know, because when God created Adam, the Bible says God breathed upon Adam and breathed upon him the breath, the breath of life. So the life came into Adam's bloodstream because Leviticus 17 says that the life of all flesh is in the blood. So the life of God was in the blood of Adam. Adam was pure and holy because he had the life of God in his blood. But when Adam sinned against God, that was the first case of what you would call blood poisoning or contamination of blood. His blood was contaminated by sin. And since they, that day, every human being who has been born into this world as an offspring of Adam has been born with that sin in his genes. We inherited, you and I, we all come from Adam and we have inherited his blood and we have inherited his sin. Except Jesus. Jesus was without sin. His blood was pure. So for the first time since Adam, there was a man walking on this earth whose blood was pure. Now, the Bible tells us how Satan did everything to contaminate the blood of Jesus with sin. 
Because the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like Adam was tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way, but without sin. Now, you know, temptation is an interesting thing. We are all tempted. All of us are tempted. But we are tempted in different areas. And because of that, it is easy for us to judge one another. Because I can be tempted in one area, and that area of weakness in my life may not be an area of weakness in Brother Cliff's life. So he, he will look at me and say, how could Christopher Alam do that? I would never do that. Well, that's because it's my weak area. It's not his weak area. And vice versa. That's why we judge each other because how could he do this? I would never do that. That's because the area in which he was tempted is not my area of temptation. But Jesus was tempted in every area. There has never been a man on this earth who was tempted as much as Jesus was tempted. He was tempted in every area, but without sin. So he lived for 30 years, and then he began to preach the gospel. He preached the gospel, healed the sick, he worked miracles, he, did, he cast out devils. And he lived for, on this earth for about 33 and a half years. Now, at the end of those 33 and a half years, he had lived a pure, a holy life before God and before man. The Bible tells us he came to a place called Gethsemane. And the Bible tells us how he knelt at Gethsemane and he began to pray. And as he was praying, God showed him a cup. And that cup, cup contained the sins of all mankind. You cannot even imagine Right now, there are 8 billion people on this earth. Now, people say that from the time of Adam until today, nobody knows the exact figures. This is just a speculation. Take it for what it is. They say from the time of Adam until now, 39 billion people have lived on this earth. And we don't know when Jesus is coming back and how many more people, how many billions more will be born on this earth until that time. But all their sins, my sins, your sins, our secret sins, we have all done things that we are ashamed that others would ever find out. All of us have done things we don't want anyone to find out. And so, and our open sins, our little sins, our big sins, Jesus saw all of that. He saw the sins of normal people. He saw the sins of some of the worst human beings who have ever lived on this earth. People, if you hear the stories of the sins, it would make you want to throw up. Jesus saw their sins. Everything was on, in that cup. And the father said to him, Jesus, it is for this reason I have sent you into this world to drink of this cup, to take the sins of mankind upon your own self, in your own self. And Jesus was so pure, he had this instinct of uh, self-preservation because he knew what it would cost him if he drank of that cup because he would lose his communion with the Father. He had always had this wonderful fellowship with the Father. In fact, he and the Father were one and he didn't want to lose that. So he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass me by. That means that, Lord, if we have to do this, Father, let us do it another way, but not this. So 
I don't want to lose my communion with you. But then he had another instinct which was greater than his instinct of self-preservation, and that was his love for sinners, his love for you and me. So then he said, he said, but nevertheless, not mine, but your will be done. And the Bible says that when he said that, a deep anguish came upon his soul. And he began to shake and he began to sweat drops of blood. That was the first time that holy blood of Jesus flowed from his body. After that, the soldiers came and arrested him and they took him to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, I'm not going to all the details, but Pontius Pilate gave him back to the soldiers who took him to this place where he was going to be whipped. There they took off his outer garments and they tied him up. And those Roman soldiers had an instrument of torture known as a flagrum. A flagrum was a whip with nine long belts of ox leather. And each belt of ox leather had sharp barbs of metal and bone. And it was designed to inflict maximum suffering and pain. And they began to whip Jesus. And they whipped him, and they whipped him, and they whipped him, and they whipped him. With each cut of the whip, pieces of skin and flesh were torn off his back. And his blood began to flow from his wounds. He was whipped so badly that one of the psalmists, uh, one of the psalms says, Plowmen have plowed my back and they have made long furrows. His back looked like a field that had been plowed. Now, why was he being whipped? What was the purpose of that whipping? Why did God allow him to be whipped? The Bible says that surely he has borne our diseases and he has carried our pains and by his stripes we have been healed. It is for our mental and physical diseases and infirmities that Jesus Christ was whipped. I have people ask me, why is it so important for you to preach about this healing business? Can't you just praise, preach salvation? Why do you? I said, because of the price that Jesus paid so that people can be healed because I know how much it cost him so that people can be healed. That is the only reason we preach this. That is why it has to be preached. That is why we cannot be silent about what Jesus suffered at that whipping post. He bore our diseases, carried our pains, and by his stripes we were healed and there he stood the Son of God with blood flowing from his back. Then the Bible says that they took a crown of thorns and those thorns in the Middle East, I tell you, they're sharp as nails. They're about eight to ten inches long and they put that upon his head and he began to, he began to bleed from his brow. And I want to tell you why he was crowned with thorns. It is because thorns are symbolic of the curse that God put upon this earth because of the sin of man. When Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the earth and said from now on this earth is going to produce 
thorns and thistles. And that day when Jesus wore that crown of thorns, he became a curse for us. He bore every curse that could ever be put upon our lives. After that, the Bible says they took these sticks, like two by fours, they began to beat him. They beat him so bad. Isaiah 52 says his face was disfigured beyond recognition. And he was beaten so that we might have peace. It says in the 53rd chapter, Jesus was beaten so that we might have peace. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves. Peace with our fellow man. Peace. If there's anything people are looking for today, I'm not talking about wars and things like that, but within their own hearts, people are looking for peace. People don't have peace. Jesus was beaten so that we might have peace. And then they began to spit upon him. They mocked him. They spat upon him. They cursed him. Threw dirt upon him. And there he stood, the pure, the holy son of God, who had never done any wrong to anybody, covered with blood, covered with the spit of sinners, covered with dirt. And then they made him carry that cross to Calvary, where they nailed him to that cross. And he hung upon that cross for six long hours, under excruciating pain, paying for the sins of man, paying for your sins, paying for my sins. So you know, when I wake up in the morning, every morning before I go to bed, I say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. It didn't come cheap. Somebody had to pay for it. He was paying for our sins. And as he was paying for our sins, his blood was flowing from his wounds. You know, just a few weeks ago, it occurred to me. This thought occurred to me and absolutely blew my mind. You know, the human body, I mean, if you look at Jesus, he was, he, he was human. He was about my size, your size, right? He was a normal size human being. A normal human body carries about five liters of blood. Five liters is about five quarts of blood. One and a quarter gallon of blood. So Jesus had about one and a quarter gallon or five liters of blood. That is all he had. When God sent the holy blood of Jesus to this earth to cleanse the billions and billions of humanity from their sins. All he sent was five quarts of blood. Because that blood was so holy. Five quarts was more than enough. Now, before that, in the, you know, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no propitiation of sins in the temple. 
They had all those blood sacrifices. There were thousands of animals that were sacrificed every year. There was a big sacrifice that the priest made. And for every little infraction, people had to go to the temple and make a sacrifice. The temple was actually a bloody place. If you went to the temple and any given day, you would hear the bleating of animals as they were being, as they were being uh, killed. And, and there was like thousands of gallons of blood that flowed there. Every year, year after year after year after year, thousands of gallons of blood flowed in that temple. And yet that blood could not take away any sins. It could only cover the people's sins for a year. But when God wanted to cleanse the, man, the sins of all mankind, not just the people of Israel, but of all mankind, the billions of humanity, once and for all, he sent the most holy blood that he could send. But he sent only five quarts of it. Can you imagine how precious that blood was? And here was Jesus carrying that precious blood, bleeding on the cross, hung there six hours. And then they thought he was dead and a soldier took a spear and stuck it up his side. Water and blood came out and they said he's dead. And then his blood ran down his body. It ran down that cross, five quarts of blood, and collected in a little pool at the foot of the cross. Then a small trickle of blood began to flow down that hill of Calvary. And that stream, that was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah. God said, I am going to open a stream that will be for the cleansing of sin and of unrighteousness. And that stream is still flowing today. Can you believe that? That blood is so pure. You know, listen, my blood, if I was to make a little incision and a drop of blood would drop on the carpet, you came back tomorrow morning, all you would see was a dry stain. But the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, we have not been purchased by, in, by corruptible things such as gold and silver. Uh, something uh, corruptible, the word corruptible means something that can lose its efficacy, that can lose its life and its power that can go, that can be tarnished or that can grow stale or ineffective. He says, we have not been, we have not been purchased by cor corruptible things such as silver and gold that can be tarnished, that can lose their shine, but we have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus that is as full of life today as it was when it flowed down that cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. The blood of Jesus, it still forgives sins. It still cleanses sinners from their sins. It still destroys the works of the devil. It still defeats demons. It still heals the sick. Hallelujah. And that blood is available to us. Only five liters or five quarts of that blood is enough for all mankind. 
and we have access and we have right to it. So where, where does that blood flow? Is it, I, I joked with you, jokingly ask you, is it in Tulsa or Springfield? I tell you what, wherever the gospel is preached, the blood flows there. And tonight, that blood is flowing in Life Church, in this auditorium, in, in Idaho. And you can be saved, you can be healed, you can be delivered. Your life can be changed here today. Because that blood is available for you and for me tonight here. You don't have to go anywhere or pay any money for it. It's here and now. And the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Let me tell you some things about the power of the blood of Jesus. First thing, the blood of Jesus is saving blood. It saves us. It cleanses us. Ephesians 1.7 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Through the blood we have forgiveness of sins. And it does not matter what you have done. We have forgiveness of sins through his blood. You know, we had a, let me tell you the story of this lady. She was from my wife's side of the family. And I, when I married my wife, she was already elderly, a godly woman. Woman used to pray, she loved Jesus. And we would visit her, I really liked this old lady, and, and so we would visit her, and she, but she always had some sickness, something in her body, there was always something going on. And she would say, Christopher, can you pray for me? And I'd say, Auntie, sure, I'll pray for you. So I'd pray for her, and then she would say, do you think God will heal me? I said, of course, God will heal you. She says, but you don't know the things I have done. I said, doesn't matter what you have done, God has forgiven you. And then after a couple of years of this, I asked my wife, what has she done? What is she talking about? And she was like 80 something at that point. And this is what she said. She said, when she was 17, she became pregnant out of wedlock. And back in those days, if a woman became pregnant out of wedlock, that was a huge shame in society. And she was so ashamed of herself. She carried that stigma her whole life and asked God for forgiveness so many times. And she felt like, like God had forgiven her all of her sins except this one. Because of the shame she carried all her life because of this one sin. And she couldn't believe that Jesus had actually forgiven her that sin. She just had a hard time letting that go. And then she fell ill, she went into a coma. And she was into, in a coma for six months. And I want to tell you how she died. She was in hospital, she was in, this, in a coma. She was basically, it was machines that kept her alive. In Sweden, the laws are such, you know, machines. And I don't know how the process is, but they can't just switch it off. They, it's a process they have to go through. So she was basically, you know, she was in a coma, she was dead. And there were always some relatives sitting there. So we had two relatives, cousins of my wife, who were not Christians. They were sitting there, and this is their story. They said, we were sitting there watching auntie, when suddenly 
the color came back to her face and she opened her eyes and then she sat up on the bed and she stretched out her arms like this like she saw somebody and she smiled and then she was gone and I said to my wife Jesus loved this woman so much that he wouldn't even let her die like the rest of us Maybe he came down himself to take her or sent an angel just to tell everybody how forgiven she was. When Jesus was on that cross, he bore all of your sins. Doesn't matter what you have done. Does not matter. Let go. Tonight it's time to let go. There is forgiveness for all our sins. The blood of Jesus is it, it's cleansing sin. It forgives us. It cleanses sin. It forgives us. It's forgiving blood, saving blood. The second thing that the blood of Jesus is healing blood. As I told you earlier, when Jesus was whipped, his blood flowed from his back for your healing, for my healing. By his wounds we have been healed. Whatever it is, be it physical, mental, or emotional, Jesus has already taken it upon himself and you do not have to carry anything that Jesus has already carried. The blood of Jesus brings deliverance. Colossians 2.15 says that at what Jesus did at the cross, it says, and having disarmed the powers and principalities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. So at the cross, Jesus disarmed every devil and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them at the cross. So Jesus, upon the cross, when he shed his blood, he won a total and decisive victory over all the powers of the devil. The fourth thing is that the blood of Jesus brings down the glory of God, brings down the fire of God. You see, every time you read in the Old Testament that the fire of the Lord fell, the fire always fell on a blood-soaked altar. It never fell on a dry altar. The blood of Jesus upon our lives brings down the power and the glory of God upon our lives. Next thing, the blood of Jesus speaks for us at the altar. The Bible says when Jesus ascended to heaven and sat at the right hand of Father, he took his blood with him and he put his blood upon the altar. And the blood it says it speaks better thing than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks salvation. It speaks healing. It speaks life and blessing over your life. So right now that you are sitting here listening to me preach, the blood of Jesus is speaking for you at the altar. And not only that, but Jesus himself is interceding for you and me at the right hand of God, which means that you are destined to win. You are programmed to win. And the last thing, 
the blood of Jesus gives us access to the presence of God. It says here, Hebrews 10, 19, 20, Therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we have access to the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the high priest had access to the most holy place only once. And he had to be very careful because the sacrifice has to be made, he, made, he used to take the blood and enter into the most holy place. And, and he had these little bells on the hem of his garment so that when he was on the move, they used to hear the bells that they knew that he was still alive, you know. Then do, they, they used to have a rope tied around his ankle and he used to go and if God accepted his sacrifice, then all was well, then he'd be walking back, then the sound of the bells would get louder and louder so that he was, they knew that he's okay, he's walking out. God has accepted our sacrifice. But if God didn't accept the sacrifice, he would be struck dead. No more bells. Then they used to pull him out by the rope that was tied around his ankle. All that in the Old Testament, it was scary. But now we have access to the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. Anytime, not just once a year, but anytime I want, I can come to the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. And I can say, Father, I come to your presence in the name of Jesus through the power of his precious blood. And when I do that, all my prayers are answered. Hallelujah. That stream is flowing today. It is still flowing today. There is life. There is healing. There is peace. There's deliverance for all of us. Five quarts. More than enough. For the billions of people in all mankind. You might think, I have done so many things in my life. Hey, listen, just one drop is enough. One drop of that precious blood is enough to turn everything around. I was a sinner when I came to Jesus. I have done so many things. I was a combat veteran, so horrible things. I was a violent person. I carried a gun every time I went. I was so full of the devil. But for some reason, Jesus, he extended his hand to me and cleansed me in his blood. Saved me. Filled me with his Holy Spirit and made me his servant. One drop of blood can change everything in your life. Anything, anything, nothing. That's why I always say, nothing is impossible for Jesus. Thanks for joining us for the message today. I trust it has been a blessing and a help to your life. You know, the most important thing we could ever do is to receive salvation, to receive eternal life. You know, Jesus died for our sins. He paid the price and it's available to every single one of us. Would you like to pray today? Say it from your heart, say it out loud. Dear God in heaven, I believe in you. 
I repent of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross. He suffered in my place. He died so I could live. He was raised from the dead and he's alive today. I receive him now as my savior. I confess Jesus is Lord. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer with me today, congratulations, you're in, you're saved, you're right with God. I would love to hear from you so we can send you some additional material to help you in your walk and relationship with God. Please text the word SAVED to 208-314-2660. Also, I'd like to invite you to join us for a live service this coming Sunday and you are more than welcome to be here. Visit our website at lcboise.com for all of the current service times. Thanks again for joining us today. God bless you.